Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with my broadcast partner, Amy Donaldson. On this episode, we're joined by Dr. Paul White. He's a professor of social psychology at the University of Illinois. Uh, University of Illinois. That's, that's my alma mater, by the way. University of Utah. Uh, I, every time I say University of Illinois, it always comes out. I just want you to know about that because, yeah, it's just a thing. It's a compliment, right? It's, it's, I remember to myself, I always say that. And, and uh, in Illinois, I call it the U of I because everybody knows what that is. But uh, in Iowa, they call uh, University of Iowa uh, U of I. But in Indiana says Indiana University, so they're, they're bizarre. Uh, you. They're hoosiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, listen, first of all, thanks for being here. Um, well, thank you. You know, there's a lot going on in the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, we want to start with the thing that's kind of most obvious. Uh, we're kind of at the one-year anniversary of the uh, coronavirus outbreak, and it, it seems kind of longer because it's, mm-hmm. just, it's changed our lives and affected our lives, not just here but around the world, so very much. And even though... We're kind of in the midst of the vaccine rollout. You know, it's, it's still a long way from being, quote unquote, normal again. And uh, there's, you know, all this kind of rancor about it. As a psychologist and a, a social psychologist, what, uh, what have you thought about just this, this kind of milestone we're in? Well, um, one of the things I'll, and I'm going to shoehorn this in. I want you to use your outside voice. Uh, I'm going to, well, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to shoehorn this in for because it has hit me thinking about this one year, how every, it seems like everything's been turned upside down in a lot of ways. But for there, there have been people who have, who have not had to think about certain issues of, you know, we've not had to think about the frontline workers, not thinking healthcare, but just thinking frontline workers at grocery stores, at restaurants, who the people who who pick up our trash, the people who clean rooms at at hotels, the people who do all these all this other work behind the scenes for us to live our lives. Um, as President Biden, I think, said, and and some people try to jump on him for saying it the way he said it because they they clipped it. But you know we you know we don't think about the black woman who is stocking the shelves. We don't think about the Latina who may be cooking in the back. We don't think about the, you know, the, the low end wage teenage worker who may be delivering things. 
part of that is privilege. We have privilege in a lot of ways not to have to think about, consider those things until this hit. And now it's I'm, one of the things that makes me hopeful is I'm, I'm, it's making that awareness that maybe as we go down and keep continuing on the line, that people will start thinking about all the other people around them that help their lives to be the life they live. Yeah. And, and it can be tricky for us, but if we keep doing that, maybe things will improve overall. The mm-hmm. downside is I think people may not realize it and just once things start opening up, they'll just go back to how things have been. And I'm yeah. hope, uh, the yeah. other thing I'm-, I'm hoping with this is that this will allow people to now see other ways of privilege because we always mm-hmm. hear about white privilege and mm-hmm. more, we're getting more and more where we hear about you know gender privilege but there's all kinds of privileges that people have in our lives that we live yeah. have in our lives and i think this economic privilege is uh it's been an interesting thing for me to look at um what what people's um what, like when everything shut down for two weeks my one one thing that sort of highlighted it i guess was everyone sharing what they were doing once things were shut down. So everyone was saying, oh, I've been stuck in my house or, oh my, you know, I've, I've ordered all these books or, you know, the way people spent uh, some of this isolation time or some of the shutdown, um, or you had people who were working, you know, oh, I'm mm-hmm. still working or uh, you had people talking about, should you pay someone who, you know, who normally comes and cleans your house once a week, should you pay them even though they, um, uh, are not they probably can't come uh, during the shutdown time you know um there were just all these discussions about how you spend your leisure time or how, what would you do in a shutdown and how would you make money and did you know did you have food did you have access to a savings account how long could you stay afloat if you didn't work um i think that's where i really started thinking about in 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 earnest and in a lot of different ways than i had in the past about the economic um, privileges that I have, but also just the, 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 you know, the inequalities that exist and where they exist and in, and in what way those were highlighted. And sometimes I saw them even across my own family. And I did think about those as I went and got my vaccination yesterday. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, like, I was like, I hate getting shots. I hate going to the doctor. I got a little choked up. I mean, this is the first mm-hmm. shot I've ever <laughs> looked forward to, but I just felt like um, so grateful for the researchers and and the you know the medical minds that made this possible. And I also am just grateful that people who you know who had our best interest at heart dealt with some pretty horrific situations and back you know backlash and and they and they kept trying to help us stay safe, uh, you know, do the right thing, help one another. Um, I have learned a lot this last year. Uh, among the things is that I am economically, I mean, I already knew that, but I, I'm, I feel like I'm more, even almost more extremely privileged than most of my friends. And then, and the other thing I've learned is um, that uh, people are a lot more selfish than I thought they were. They're good people, but they're not they're not kind on a daily basis in really small ways. And I think everyone wants to be the hero. They don't necessarily want to just make tiny sacrifices, like letting someone go in line in front of you every day, you know, like every mm-hmm. day, like, 
you might do that on your good deed day, but you won't do that every, like, I'm in a hurry today, or what I have to do is important today, or, you know, yet you, for, you keep forgetting that, to, to yeah. do those things. And it's, and again, it's when thinking of the term privilege, it's not that everything is perfect for the person. It's not that people or groups don't have struggles, but it is that idea that it's, and I, I say to people now, uh, it's, it's easier to, to give examples of the concept of privilege than to come up with a straight, um, definition in, you know, or define it in the apps, even in the abstract. Except I think about, you know, it's having, it's being viewed as part of the norm. This is just how life is. And having benefit of doubt is part of it. And being able to take advantage of structures that are in place that you may not even have realized these structures were in place. My, my take home phrase now is, does a fish know it's wet? Or does it, you know, is it until you pull it out of the water, does it know it's wet? And I think what's happened to us over the past year has pulled us out of the water a little bit. I mean, and one of the things for, I don't know about for y'all, but for like on our neighborhood street, one of the nice things is we've kind of bonded together as neighbors and started this whole little group. Because the other thing we're coming up on, and I'm even afraid to say it because I feel like I'm going to jinx it, you know. We're coming up on a year ago, the earthquake in Magna, which woke up, literally woke up people in some ways of what, what advantages we have here that other people may not be able to have. So, you know, like for me, I, look, I, that earthquake, I, re, I recall very vividly because um, what was strange about it to me is um, it, it, it just happened out of nowhere. <laughs> I just remember getting up in the morning and it was just a regular day and then next thing you know, the ground under me is shaking. Luckily, it only lasted a short time. And uh, But my laundry man knows how af- afraid I was uh, when it all <laughs> took place. So when we come back, I want to uh, kind of talk about another topic that's very big in the news uh, this week because uh, we're all getting big checks uh, in, in the next few weeks and, well, and a, lot, and a whole lot more, hopefully, uh, you know, with the passage of a new stimulus package. We're speaking today with Dr. Paul White. He's a professor of social psychology at the University of Utah. And we'll continue our discussion along with Amy Donaldson. I'm Jason Lee. This is Voices of Reason. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought... There are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Voices of Reason, along with Amy Donaldson. I'm Jason Lee, speaking today with Dr. Paul White, social psychology professor at the U of U, University of Utah. And uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about, Paul, is, you know, Amy brought this up when we were offline. They passed this $1.9 trillion, uh, you know, stimulus package because mm-hmm. it gives people uh, checks for $1,400, addresses a lot of other various issues, including, uh, you know, COVID response and all of that. Yeah. Uh, 
Amy, what, do you, uh, what other kinds of issues do you, did you feel like you wanted to kind of bring up in this one? Well, I, I think the big issue that, that uh, the one of the, I read about the $300 per month per child tax credit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, parents would get $300 per kid, um, uh, and I think it was on a monthly. So, you know, it, it, it could be a $3,000, $3,600, depending on the number of kids you had. Um, it could be, you know, a significant help, right? Um, and, and one of the things I read was that it, it, is, it helps 96% of American families, this rescue package does, and between the $1,400 and the, tax cre- the child tax credit. Um, so 96% of families are getting some kind of benefit and help. Um, the, the other thing is it, that there are poverty experts that have analyzed it, and, and these are people who are usually nonpartisan. They look at legislation and they tell legislators how this is going to impact the poorest Americans. And, and while it's an equal opportunity, you know, it's equal for anybody, I think you have to make under $150,000 to qualify for the $300 child tax credit. Um, it will actually help the poorest 20%, and it disproportionately helps people of color. And so if you want to talk about writing past wrongs or correcting issues or giving people an opportunity when maybe they, the, the, the system was stacked against them previously, I thought this was a really, um, a really good thing. Now, this thing is only a year. Um, I think Democrats are hoping they can make, make it permanent. Um, I, I don't love that they kind of do these things and get us hooked on them and then try to take them back or have this debate again. But... I think uh, a universal. I think we don't. They don't value. do that with tax cuts, though. Yeah, but but I don't. I don't think we talk a lot about valuing childcare and people who take care of kids. So whether it's a man or a woman who stays home and takes care of their child, um, or if they're working and then they also care for their children and do housework or whatever, we talk a lot about how important that is to us. Well, there's a reason that kids, that my kids, you know, people, young people, my children's age, you know, 30 and younger are having fewer or no children. They cannot afford to pay for themselves. They cannot afford to buy a house, to, to buy a new car, to, to pay their rent on the wages that we're offering them. And so I thought there was a big debate about, uh, you know, uh, Ben Shapiro put out a piece where, you know, a little, he talked about it on his, whatever it is, podcaster. Um, but the clip was making the rounds on social media where he said women were going to have babies so they could get $300 a month. And I was furious about this because I think there's so much stigma attached to being poor anyway. If you've ever had to ask for help, if you've ever had to say I can't afford that or put groceries back in line, you know how much stigma and humiliation goes along with just not having enough money. And so I think that um, we need to fix that, right? Especially for kids. But they, I mean, this is going to lift millions of kids out of poverty, this, this thing. So I, I, you know, it's not enough money that people like Ben Shapiro think it matters. For if, you, if you're just looking at, oh, my car broke down, I need $300 or $400. I mean, I read a study a few years back that said most people are $600 away from a financial disaster. Mm-hmm. Look at this actually addresses that and and everybody says it's not covid related people are suffering because of the pandemic whether they they i mean we paid more for toilet paper we paid more for groceries because of the pandemic everybody's paying a cost and everybody's been impacted 
whether or not they lost their job directly, right? There are these costs and these issues. Anyway, I didn't know what you guys had, what you thought of the stimulus package, but I, I don't benefit at all. I don't get a $1,400 check and I don't have kids. So, I mean, that are young. So, but I think it's a fantastic thing. Paul? Well, <laughs> I'm trying to think where to start. Yeah. Um, first off, well, okay, I'll, I'll, first off, the tax credit, the way they talked about the tax credit and the things I've read about it. Uh, well, actually, I'll, 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 sorry, I'll back up. First thing with this package, it is the America Rescue Package. The idea, the way it's being framed as this is all about COVID. It should be all about COVID. Everything has to go to COVID. COVID and coronavirus hit our country, our, you know, our society, like a sledgehammer. Lots of things have been disrupted. Lots of things have been fractured. It's not going to take just giving people a check. It's not going to take just these one, this little thing here and there that is going to be the solution. It's, it's like the idea of, well, just give everybody a tax cut. And that'll fix everything. No, what they what this is. I mean, it's called the rescue plan for a reason. It is looking at the things that are COVID directly and COVID indirectly that have impacted a lot of people in our. Well, I'd say impacted everybody in one way or the other. Because I could say the billionaires who still made what, like 40 something billion dollars over the past year. I mean, that's impacted them in a positive way. But I, so that's one thing is this bill is not, it was, it was not geared for, nor should it be talked about as only being for coronavirus and COVID relief. It is a package that is wider than that. Second, I w- admit I was quietly I was quite disappointed in Senator Mitt Romney. Oh. At the same time, I was I was a, I was I was happy when he talked about he wanted to make some of these the child tax credit permanent. Don't like you're saying, Amy, of the mm-hmm. one year here jerking it around. No, he wanted to make some of these things permanent because yeah. he talked about how this could impact families, how it could impact in a positive way poverty and get lift people out of poverty yes the 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 idea is that it could be um have they think lift you know 50 percent of the children out of poverty that's remarkable we should be that alone should be applauded Um, Mm -hmm. now with mr shapiro and others who are wanting to talk about, oh, this is going to, it's the same thing with when they talked about extending the unemployment mm-hmm. insurance and checks and expanding that. It's like, oh, this is going to make people not want to work. <laughs> One, um, that argument of, oh, they're going to have babies to get money. I grew up in southeastern Kentucky um, from the, in the 70s and 80s. Most of the people around me were white. And that was the joke there of, you know, having lots of kids to get your welfare check. Well, the welfare check, the welfare system at that time was set up that actually busted up families. It, won't, it wasn't black people. They, there's, not a lot, there's not a lot of non-white people in the hills of Kentucky or West Virginia or western 
Virginia or Eastern Tennessee. I could or Ohio, th- Ohio too, right? Or Ohio. Or I love the thing. I still remember all those years ago, Pat Buchanan running for president in the early 90s and talking about going to New Hampshire and goes, oh, I'm in New Hampshire and there's lots of poor people and they're white. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what he did. So, yeah. So the idea of um, that this is, I mean, that's, to, I'll call it what it is. That is a a dog whistle, a cultural war kind of fraction mm-hmm. argument. Most to say, oh, see these, it's these non-white people who are going to be having these kids, and you're going to be paying for them. Like, well, okay, if that's we live here in Utah, there's lots of kids here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more okay. than a lot of kids here. Let, 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 let so, me interject. Before say, we before yeah. we get on, because we, we're running yeah. a little long, oh, okay. Okay. we'll continue this part of the discussion when we okay. come back. We're speaking today with. Uh, social psychology professor Dr. Paul White talking about the uh, major issues of today along with Amy Donaldson, Jason Lee this is Voices of Reason Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason speaking today with Dr. Paul White social psychology professor at the University of Utah and we're kind of uh, running the gamut and, and some of the talking about the, the major issues that are going on today. And one of those is kind of what we were talking about uh, in the last segment about the impact of the new stimulus package, which is, has a, uh, an opportunity to help a lot of people, particularly those in the lower income brackets who probably need more help than the rest of us. Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, conservative pundits who are trying to vilify them, which is kind of an easy thing since they have the least amount of uh, lobbying effort and, and support. Uh, to somehow demonize folks who have the least when we love, we don't mind giving tax cuts to people who have more money and make more money in interest than most of us will ever make in our lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, I like that you said stimulus package, uh, coin what I was saying before, because that's part of it. It's, it's a, it's a broader effort here instead of just targeting. And, and before people, if people think that I'm some, you know, left, on the far left <laughs> liberal, um, I actually agree that the that the checks and some of some of the some of these uh, efforts going forth. Yes, I don't think it should have been blanket. I think it should be. Uh, I'm glad they actually started targeting it because yeah. there are, if anything, do would I like more money? Yes, I would yeah. love more money, um, <laughs> but. If my getting more money means someone else is getting the same amount that could use it more, hey, cut mine, cut mine, and give it, give more to them, and I'd be fine. And another one quick, I've seen a little bit as I've been trying to stay off social media for, for good reasons, uh, and I did see a, a couple of things with reparations and saying how it's like well see this the the money going to these black farmers that's there's your reparations and i'm thinking the money's going to farmers and some yeah. of them are black that yeah. that's not it's, no it's not only <laughs> the black people yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's like not only but, the brown people that they're helping yeah with. but it's again that kind of not wanting yeah. to see this as we can this can help all of us yeah. why not work to help all of us well, and I think I, you know, I pointed out on after the Ben Shapiro thing that I got $300 a month uh, in child support when I was a single mom and we were both young and we didn't have much money. 
Um, but that money made a huge difference in my kid's life. She could take music lessons. Um, she could take dance classes. She, I didn't, you know, if she wanted to go to McDonald's and go to Playland, we could do that. She was, she had somewhat, I, I made a good living. I worked for a company that paid me a living wage and I had a college degree. And yet that money still was something that if you'd taken it away from me, it would have impacted what I could do for my kid. So I look at that and I say, if that was my situation and I'm making, um, you know, a little bit less than starting teachers make, um, you know, what, why wouldn't we want this for kids? I think having them, we know so much more about the value of good nutrition and education and good quality childcare at a young age for these are, these human beings are going to grow up and they're going to run this world that we live in. Right. And so we want them to be as healthy as possible and as successful as possible. It makes society better. What I think is interesting about it is people get, you know, there's this big hue and cry from uh, conservative, uh, well, just people who criticize programs like this for like $300. You know, there are people in this world that pay $300 for dinner and don't think anything of it. There are people in this world who pay $1,000 for a phone and Mm -hmm. that's, they're happy to pay for it. $300 is nothing. To most Nobody's going to be having. Nobody's going to change. It, a month. It, it may not. It, it will change the lives of people who have very little. But for those of us in the middle class or even the lower middle class, three hundred dollars not going to change our lives one iota. So why are we willing to give rich people money that they don't need because they're going to be rich for generations? But then when people who are uh, in poverty for generations, we feel as though they're taking something from us rather than us giving them something to help their lives be just incrementally better. We're not talking, you know, putting them in the next, uh, you know, tax bracket. We're just trying to take some of the burden off of them because they have so little. Yeah, and it's, and it's one, of the, one of the things along those lines, it's the, if you, if, it's the idea, if you think about it, as Amy's pointed out and you're pointing out, Jason, that the, uh, if the trade-off is I'm going to have a child... <laughs> to get three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. that's very poor management. Yeah, because, because it's going to cost a lot it. more than three hundred dollars a month. We're talking thirty six hundred dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a child is going to cost that easily in just a few months. And yeah. the other thing too is again, like I said, it's it's an easy straw argument to throw out there. It's an easy whistle to throw out there, and and not to have the real discussion and conversation about the issues of mm-hmm. how do we value our our families our children i was i applauded and i in full disclosure my wife is a middle school teacher uh, and i was i applaud i literally ap- applauded when i heard the news uh, um watching television about the vaccinations that they were saying to do them for not just teachers not just the the administrative assistants and administration in the schools, but school bus drivers, cafeteria mm-hmm. workers, for the um, janitors, for janitors, you know? Yeah. You know, and that's where also thinking with this package that the whole idea of well, why, some school, some states are in cities are you know the whole bailing out these these places and are you know and both of our senators saying that Utah does not need these the funds. Mm-hmm. Um, if schools here really want to upgrade to have good ventilation, et cetera, it's going to cost a lot of money. And, and also, the state's not going to pay for it. 
or they're going that, to say we want money from the federal government to pay for it. Exactly, and and the federal a federal uh, food program is what helped San Juan County be able to feed yes. uh, children, and they fed any child who was uh, under you know school age. So if they even if they had a four or three year old brother or sister at home, they sent food home for those kids. They sent food home on the weekends, and they couldn't have done it without federal money. So we can talk all we want about. Uh, we want to be independent. We don't need it. There are communities in this state that need a lift. They need help. And we need to start thinking about, instead of worrying about freeloaders, why don't we think about what it would mean to a child to grow up in dignity, to grow up with pride, to grow up feeling like they're not being looked down on because they have to go to a food bank or their clothes are not clean. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a, a, appalling to me the way we treat people who are poor at this in in this day and age it's we know better and nobody is having a baby for 300 dollars a month or ben shapiro knows some women that i'd like to meet you know <laughs> uh, we got to kind of uh, wrap this up when we come back uh Amy brought up a great uh topic that we want to kind of shine a light on because there are people who are making arguments about controversial topics and and really taking them on now because it is one of those things that has been talked about for decades, and at this point, very little has been done about it. And in fact, uh, it's, it's been one of those things that's been a non-starter for decades, yet its impact uh, that began 200 years ago is still, part, well, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, it still affects the economic growth that uh, America is experiencing today and why it has become the uh, world power that it, it is, one of the uh, richest countries in the world. When we come back, we'll talk about reparations. Uh, we are the Voices of Reason, Jason Lee and Amy Donald. We are back with Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee and with Amy Donaldson, speaking today with Dr. Paul White, social psychology professor at the University of Utah. And one of the last things we want to chat, chat about was there's been this push to actually, you know, discuss America kind of making amends for its original sin, which is slavery. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a lot of people for years have been talking about reparations. Mm -hmm. And I am one of those people who, in as much as I understand, you know, the idea of trying to do it, and America never really apologizing for, you know, what, what they've done and not rec uh, recognizing the benefit they've gained from it over all these years. I've never thought of reparations, I, I always thought of it as a non-starter because I, I didn't think it could get enough traction. However, there are people who think differently than me. And one of them is Erica Alexander along with her uh, broadcast partner. They're doing a podcast called The Big Payback, which, by yeah. the way, a very a, a fantastic James Brown song that everybody mm -hmm. should listen to. Uh, <laughs> so it's... <laughs> I want to start with Paul. You know, the idea of reparations. As a social psychologist, somebody who kind of observes uh, things that are going on, what are your thoughts on just the notion? And, oh, by the way, uh, the city of Evanston, Illinois, became the first municipality to offer reparations to its black residents. Hmm. just want to throw that out there. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, your thoughts on, you know, the notion of reparations? I'm, I'm of multiple minds. Um, I... The, the idea of cutting a check, you know, because yeah, that's part of the, the, the notion is, you know, oh, we'll just cut a check. Um, that, I agree with you. I think that's a non-starter because 
frankly, there's 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 no amount of money. There's no way to, and I know econ, economists and others have tried to calculate this. There really isn't a way to calculate the wealth, the amount of um, capital that has been gained by some and lost by many for, through slavery. Uh, the country was literally built, literally built, by enslaved labor. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you how do you calculate you know, and how do you calculate that uh, that amount? It's it's to me it's like the whole thing when people say, oh, all these poor the poor in the world. Why doesn't the Catholic Church in the Vatican just sell this piece of art? And I was like, do you not understand why there's something called priceless? There is no price you can put. On. I mean, it's so to me cutting a check is yeah. I'm not for sure about the what I personally. What I would like to see um, in terms of reparations is let's have true, honest dialogue discussion. Let's have truth and reconciliation kind of ideas like in South Africa, like in Ireland with the with the north, what happened in Northern Ireland. Uh, let's have those kind of that. That could be a starting point. Uh, and then have people really think through. Because the one of the well, yeah, have people think through and discuss these issues. Because one of the one of the big pushbacks that I've had, and this is, goes back at least twenty years with some colleagues up at the U, mm-hmm. is the idea of if you do reparations for for blacks and African Americans because of slavery, yeah, you know, one, how do you how do you know who's who's been the real slave? descendants and who's not isn't there white people who have slave descendants in their family um they would about, because they're uh the people who own the other people yes, exactly yeah, yeah. Part of how yes exactly yeah. it's like what about what about women what, do we do reparations for women what well, about the indigenous what about native people? people yeah, yeah. do, do mm-hmm. we do reparations for the and it's and it and it, it to me that's where it's like this whole they're wanting it to be a zero-sum game Mm-hmm. And talking about it as a zero sum game, let's mm-hmm. how about let's start about just having a true, honest discussion about it, and yeah. not try to play it off as oh well that happened all those years ago and I didn't benefit from it at all, even though there's redlining and things of you know affirmative action programs that go to you know that that are supposed to go for this that's supposed to be reparations, but I mean that's not really reparations because. Everybody who's of certain classes can get in affirmative action type programs. Yeah. So, yeah, you can see it just I will. I want yeah. more discussions of it. Well, so for we only me, got three minutes. OK, oh. so I'm going to be quick about this, but I'm going to say I think you need to look targeted. I, I do think we have to look at some a wide range of things like there are colleges that have benefited from they were built by with enslaved people, the labor of enslaved people. And those colleges are now offering free tuition to people who are descendants of the, of the people who, you know, the slaves that built that, that those facilities. Um, or people who, you know, I mean, I think there are a lot of ways you can verify things now. Um, uh, you know, I, I watch these shows that trace people's genealogy. It's amazing what you can trace. And it's really not that hard. It's not that long ago. And it's not just about slavery. Because while this country was built on slavery, you know, that was kind of the cornerstone idea. We continue to enslave people or, mm-hmm. or take advantage of them through a myriad of programs, including um, charging black farmers 
more money on loan, you know, higher interest rates on loans, and so they eventually lost the the farms that they uh, that they that they. I mean, these were the people who worked the fields. They nobody knew the ground and the and the soil and the better farming, than they did. Right. Better than yeah. they did. So so those are things that are easily looked at, and I think every community should look at where there have been wrongs in their past and how they might want to make those right. We have them here with indigenous people. Um, I think there are a lot of ways we could look at it and say, look, we took this land or that land, you know, we need to do better in, in offering some kind of um, reparations. And all reparations is a saying, this was wrong. We gave reparations to Japanese um, Americans because they, um, they were interned or their, or their relatives were interned. We took their businesses. It didn't make up for what we did. It didn't, it didn't fix what we did wrong. But it did give them some idea that we were truly sorry. Because in this country, the only way to show that you're truly sorry is to pay money. Well, and you got to acknowledge it, too. Listen, we got to go. So I want to, before we go, there's yeah. a new podcast coming out. It's called Reparations, The Big Payback. And mm-hmm. it's by uh, Erica Alexander, who was a favorite actress of mine in the 90s. Oh, I love her. She's yeah. uh, uh, an actress. Uh, now she does uh, social justice films. And a lot of other things. And her, her broadcast partner is a white guy, Eric Alexander, by the way, African American. Uh, Whitney Dow. He, uh, we don't is it Whitney? Okay. Films as well. Whitney Dow. Yep. And so Whitney Dow. I've listened to them a little bit. It's going to be fascinating, and it's it's for some people it'll be very emotional. So uh, check it out. It's one of uh, is being produced by uh, iHeartRadio. I uh, want to thank today uh, Dr. Paul White, uh, social psychology professor at the U of U. Uh, for chatting with us. It's always great to have him. He's been a friend of our show since the beginning, so we really do appreciate that. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. Check out our Facebook page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts, or any of the other places where you find interesting content. Please review our show as well, and we'd love to get your feedback. It helps us grow our audience, too. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.